Hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. This week we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Nicole. I'm Rachel. And I'm Alan. And, uh, you know, today (laughs) we're doing something a little bit different because it is uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Yeah. And I don't know how your May is going. It has been a dodgy mental health month for me (laughs) you know that's relatable yeah yeah but that's why we decided to come at you today with uh something from the more positive side of things right we're we're coming from a good a place of good vibes today because i think when we you know we're this is a conservation podcast and way too often in the conservation space do we fall into the trap of um you know, impending doom and hopelessness. Yeah. Yep. It's so easy to fall into mm-hmm. that. Yep. I think yep. we yep. specifically edit ourselves sometimes to not <laughs> be a gloom and doom too much. Yes. Um, so yeah, today we're giving you a nice hearty bowl of uh, comfort food <laughs> in the source of good news. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to start us off. Everybody everybody prepared good news today to share with everybody else. I decided to go with quantity over quality because, <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. um, you know, instead of doing like deep dives, I just wanted to like get a little sampling of all of the good things that are happening. Oh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I, I should check my email more often because I do actually have Google alerts set up for... <laughs> um, all kinds of different grasslands topics. And so I was like, you know, let's just see what's happened in May so far. And it turns out a lot of good things have happened just in May so far. And so I was like, that's a good thing to highlight. All these little obscure stories and maybe some not so obscure stories that are kind of huge, actually. Um, And it's like, what, May 19th as we're recording this? Yes. So like, this isn't even an entire month's worth of like, good news. But I have some news for you. Are you ready? Outstanding. I'm very ready. Okay, my first section is funding and legislation type stuff, because that's been pretty good, it turns out. I didn't even know this, so, you know, shame on me for not (laughs) checking my email. But um, on May 1st, the Biden-Harris administration announced $36 million to improve water quality roads, uh, stuff like that, on national forests and grasslands nationwide. That's through the USDA uh, Forest Service through their legacy roads and trails program. Um, And they've supported 98 projects to improve ecological connectivity and watershed health. One example of a project that received some of that money is the Dakota Prairie grasslands. And they got like almost half a million to improve access to their grasslands. So, you know, that's not insignificant, that amount of funding going to our national forests and grasslands. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. It's nice, uh, like if they're especially if they're like focusing on the access piece of it and building mm-hmm. trails and things like that, and yeah, because people don't always have an opportunity to go visit grasslands. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, and that's like a big theme, I think, so far for this month. Um, and you know, one of their big pieces of this legislation too was watershed health and water quality. The idea being that you know a lot of our national forests and grasslands have uh, water passing through them and are like responsible for a lot of our water quality too. And so yeah. things we can do to improve that on the lands we can do that on are beneficial for everybody. Absolutely. 
So more USDA news. Uh, USDA and the Interior announced on May 11th a proposed $2.8 billion, with a B, in funding for the 2024 year. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, This is authorized by the Great American Outdoors Act, and it is also going to improve access to management and recreation opportunities on national forests and grasslands across the entire nation. So that's pretty neat. And uh, this month, there's also been a proposed CRP Reform Act of 2023, (sighs) uh, the goal of which is to shift focus uh, so I think we're familiar with CRP. Does anybody yeah. want to give like the meat and potatoes version for the audience if they don't know what CRP is? It is the Conservation Reserve Program, mm-hmm. and that is basically something that uh, encourages landowners to maintain um, tracts of uh, or margins or, or portions of their land holdings mm-hmm. in a uh, more natural state and a state more reflective of uh, the natural habitat. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like it's a fine it's a direct financial benefit to them for maintaining habitat, basically. Yeah. And this reform act that's been proposed, the the goal of it is to shift the focus from like major tracts of land that are like a high productivity farmland to marginal farmland. Um, and like smaller and beginning farmers, uh, prioritizing basically longer term agreements and grasslands specifically, um, for more marginal habitat. Uh, so quote, uh, their goal is to generate more durable wildlife and environmental benefits while reducing competition for productive farmland between USDA and farmers, uh, especially new and beginning farmers. And uh, it's trying to make it easier to enroll, easier to re-enroll. It's extending contract lengths to 30 years and incentivizing basically continuous enrollment of specifically grasslands categories into CRP. Nice. And I think I think when I saw that article, they also like, they're also just increasing like the payments as well, oh, right? Yeah, like the yeah. like the fin- like the financial benefit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a whole list of all the things that it's like, you know, uh, mechanically doing to improve all of this stuff. Um, but yeah, they're just trying to make it easier to to preserve lands. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you know if you know any farmers who aren't <laughs> doing CRP, this is like a good time for them to jump in on that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just one more little tiny funding thing is that the Nature Conservancy announced nine different grasslands specific research projects that they are going to be funding through their, uh, small grants awards program this year. And they just announced that like, uh, last week. So, oh yeah, there's all, all kinds of good little research projects. Um, yeah. I'm not going to talk about all of them though, cause I have more stuff to talk about. So yeah, <laughs> good job. Conservation efforts. Woo. Okay, so let me also tell you some of the other good things that are happening for grasslands across the world. Okay, number one, um, Arizona Game and Fish um, just got $800,000. They're going to be um, specifically restoring pronghorn and mule deer migration routes in Arizona because that's a huge migration path. It's really important to preserve that. And it's, you know, like most grasslands being completely overtaken by trees. So they're going to be like removing woody invasive species and reducing erosion and facilitating more prescribed fires and stuff to uh, preserve 4,000 acres of pronghorn migration areas and grasslands. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. I always wonder, like, 
like how far does eight hundred thousand dollars go? I have like no like sense of scale for these things. <laughs> no. So it's nice that we have like that's going to go towards four thousand acres. You said, uh, yeah, four thousand so. acres of uh, migration areas. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is part of a federal program to improve migration corridors across like eleven different western states that are having habitat fragmentation issues. Um, so uh, it's an effort that. Includes like 11 different states that gotcha. have access to this funding to try and uh, deal with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of organizations that like we're talking about like millions, billions or whatever, tens of thousands of dollars even. Like I feel like there's a lot of organizations that can make that money go a really long way. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, migration herds on, or sorry, migration paths on land are something that don't get talked about as often. Like we always think about bird migration. They can just fly wherever they want to go. But for like large herds of ungulates using grasslands as corridors, Mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult, especially when habitats are getting so fragmented for them to even survive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Ah, so exciting. Um, South Dakota State University Extension is uh, announcing a huge project to kill back invasive trees and restore grasslands. Um, I really liked this interview because the rangeland and fire ecology professor from University of Nebraska-Lincoln that was talking about this um, just had so many like really great things to say about their efforts that they're doing there to stop woody encroachment in South Dakota. He said, quote, you will lose your horizons unless this group is different, you have a chance to do what the rest of the Great Plains can't, uh, basically in restoring the horizons and the landscape of the Great Plains in South Dakota. Um, And he pointed out that uh, grasslands are underprotected and highly converted. And so, um, you know, uh, it's so important to protect grasslands from crop conversion and woody encroachment. Those are the two main things. And so South Dakota is pushing a huge effort to fight back against that. Um, he says, quote, we protect forests for the sake of forests. We've viewed grasslands since settlement as something that has no value and needs to be improved. And he's fighting back against that mindset in South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. Get him. That made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. In Wales, uh, the Denbigshire, Denbig, I can't pronounce Wales things. Um, mm-hmm. Denbigshire, mm-hmm. I think is, yep, that's probably not even a very difficult thing to pronounce. I'm just making it difficult. <laughs> uh, <laughs> their county council has a wildflower meadows project that they have been working on, uh, which aims to protect the county's biodiversity by allowing wildflowers and insects to thrive. So basically their county has a bunch of sites that are managed by the bio, their biodiversity team, and they leave huge stretches of meadows completely uncut from March through August, um, except for maybe like small borders Mm -hmm. that are mown to like contain stuff and make people happy. Uh, They currently have this season 129 meadows. Um, They're supporting biodiversity improvements across uh, this county. And that just made me smile. Yeah. Nice, yeah. No, it's amazing. It's like no mo may no mo may on steroids. Yeah, like the entire <laughs> summer. And these are like not, you know, huge stretches of land. Yeah. It's highway verges, footpath edges, cycleways, and uh what they call amenity grasslands. But like by doing this across the entire county, they have 129 little meadows and that like goes a long way towards Absolutely. providing additional habitat. So yeah. what mm-hmm. a what a good little role model. No. 
thanks whales, also in Wales, there's a South Wales group um, working to save the endangered Monaro grassland earless dragon. The earless dragon? The earless dragon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a little lizard, and it lives in burrows made by wolf spiders. Oh, How small is this lizard? Wow. <laughs> it's very tiny, and it's very cute. <sighs> and it literally only lives on the uh, the basalt plains uh, in this really specific part of Wales. And there's like a group um, in Wales uh, that's over the last five years, they reported on it in May, so that's why I found it. But um, they've been building and installing 400 artificial burrows across the grasslands where this little earless dragon lives oh my gosh. in order to conserve its <laughs> habitat and try to give it a, a good chance at life. And I think that's really cute, but also so sad that they have to make artificial wolf spider burrows <laughs> out of How... PVC. Yeah, I was going to oh, say, yeah, PVC, just a little okay. PVC yeah, pipe. Little PVC It'd be pipe. really was... easy. Pop them in the ground. Yeah, tiny. Just, like, you just like, stick your finger in the dirt. And would... <laughs> yeah. Done, done, <laughs> done. Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, they're slightly more durable. Nice. But it's also like, I mean, honestly, it's, it's just the scale of it that makes it difficult. That's not yeah. a, a, a hard thing to do to make like a bunch of little tiny PVC tubes. Uh-huh. The size of wolf spider burrows for <laughs> tiny lizards to live in. Yeah. But like people need needed to do it and they're doing it. So good job, guys. That's really That's nice. amazing. It makes me happy. Earless dragon. <laughs> New tiny buddies. Um, another story from Vietnam. They have a site that they've been trying to preserve since the night. 1990s and um last month uh, a team from IUCN and NC visited to like check on the progress of conservation that site and give more recommendations and so this is like a 60,000 hectare area of seasonally flooded grassland um in Phu Mai and it is one of the Mekong Delta's last natural grasslands and so this region is has been identified as an area that needs conservation. It's like one of the last natural grasslands in this delta. And um, since the 1990s, uh, they've been pouring so much into the site, trying to preserve this like really unique ecosystem. Last year alone, they spent 500,000 USD on the site. And also that involved like compensating farmers nearby mm-hmm. because one of their main efforts is to de-intensify rice production on that delta and like their big long-term goal is to conserve a large area of natural and semi-natural grassland with like buffer areas around it which basically can still be human dominated but preserve all of the biodiversity of that region um this is a a type of habitat that supports this iconic crane, the Saris crane. Um, and so it's a really important site and one of the last grasslands of this area. And the team that went out and saw it were like, oh my God, this is going great. Everything's going wonderfully. Great job, everybody. This has been a roaring success. We're going to keep going. And that is just great news. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Um, a few more stories here just to, you know, hammer in the good vibes. Um, So I found an article saying that uh, the UN actually announced that 2026 is going to be the UN International Year of Rangelands and Pastoralists 
which means that the United Nations and the 300 groups that have backed this move uh, is making it a priority for an entire year to internationally work on grasslands dominated range rangelands and mm-hmm. pastoralist communities, which is freaking huge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not Aware, I did not know this. Pastoralists are uh, considered nomadic people who raise livestock in grassland environments. Okay. So that's the difference between like rangeland and pastoralist uh, lands. Um, but yeah, so um, that's neat. Yeah. Coming soon uh, to uh, 2026 <laughs> near you. Um, great job, you win. And uh, also, the World Wildlife Fund published a brief this month detailing policy actions they recommend for the U.S. government to take specifically to conserve America's grassland prairie habitats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is, like, good stuff to see and to be reminded of because there are so many huge groups that are like, hey, actually grasslands are super important, and we keep seeing that more and more that, like, on an international scale, uh, grassland awareness is skyrocketing. And yeah. um, so it's cool seeing big guys uh, fighting for grasslands out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 People are coming around. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And finally, I have some good Cejado news uh, from Brazil's Cejado. Uh, Number one, research was published this month showing that there's still time to save it. So that's good. (laughs) You know, the research could have shown other results. Yeah. But instead, you know, we are running out of time. But there's still time. We can still save the Cejado. Great news. Also, uh... Cargill is getting sued again um, for destroying the Cejado. So that's pretty exciting. Nice. Um, they, they're, <laughs> it, it, they've faced legal complaints before. Um, but, you know, every time there's a new one, you think, well, maybe something will, will happen. This uh, legal complaint against this agricultural giant uh, is over its failure to, number one, adequately deal with its contribution to soy-driven deforestation in the Cejado, the Mm. Amazon rainforest, and the Atlantic forest in Brazil, but also all of its human rights violations uh, uh, in the process of doing all of the things that they're doing uh, Mm -hmm. for soy production in Brazil. So that's neat. Um, Keep punching the big guys, I guess, until (laughs) something happens. Because, you know, it's one of those... As, again, people who are stuck in doom and gloom a lot, a lot of the the challenges that we are facing is that as individual people, it's difficult to make a change when there's giants who are just deforesting savannas and uh, converting crops, uh, sorry, converting grasslands to cropland, etc. So you kind of have to punch the big guys sometimes to make some change happen. And it's good to see people are trying to do that. Yeah. 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 Do you know how much they're getting sued for? I don't know. Okay. Um, let me, I, I can lot. click the link. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things where they filed a legal complaint yeah. and a lot of legal complaints have been filed before and mm-hmm. Cargill has ignored some of them and gotten away with it somehow because judges refused to see the case or uh, they settled it like outside of court and yeah. nobody ever saw what happened as the result of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of the li- the litigation hasn't really like gone anywhere that we can visibly see, okay. unfortunately. Um, you know, it's the, the beginning stage. I don't really know how law works. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to embarrass myself too much <laughs> in this podcast because my sister is a lawyer. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, it's fine. Yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all the good news I have for you today. A lot of stuff has happened in May, and that's pretty exciting. Okay. Thank you so much. I love it. 
Very nice, Rachel. That was some intense good news. Yes. Thank you. I think we should all set ourselves Google alerts for when good things happen so that we find out about them if we remember to check our email. <laughs> yeah. 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 Highly recommend it. You might have to specify like no stock notifications or gold <laughs> notifications for the word step, et cetera. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good to know. There's a sports team out there with a name that <laughs> involves grasslands <laughs> and it's like I don't I don't want to see their their scores. Wait, is it the sod poodles? <laughs> I should set an alert for sod poodles I specifically. Want, yeah. <laughs> I'm their biggest fan. <laughs> Um, Never even seen him play, but. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, gosh. Now it's Alan's turn to tell us some good news. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I have some good news. Um, I had um, good news from the world of birds. Um, You know, I don't know how plugged in you are to the world of birds, dear listener, but (laughs) there are good bird things that happen from time to time. Yeah. It's true. And uh, one grassland-specific bird thing that happened uh, has to do with uh, the blue-throated macaw. Oh. <gasps> there they on. are on our lovely banner. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> and uh, sometimes. So. Yeah, yes. if you look at the podcast icon right now, you can see one in all of its glory. It's true. Um, <laughs> but the blue-throated macaw, native to Bolivia, um, endemic to Bolivia, like into a very like small region of it at this point, like uh, um, what they call the Beni savanna, and um, yeah, it's uh, it is critically endangered. Okay, uh, it's uh, at one point there was estimated to be around only fifty or so, uh, fifty to one hundred birds left in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is that uh, those numbers are increasing. They're increasing in the wild, and that has a lot to do with specific conservation efforts. Um, there was a report released a couple months ago by the organization that's been largely responsible for spearheading those efforts. Their name is Asociación Armonia. And um, they uh, have done a lot to, um, yeah, to help these birds. Um, That includes everything from the construction of hundreds of nest boxes um, to also working with, uh, uh, working in, in, um, in, cooperation with uh the indigenous uh people of the area the the moxeno um who have traditionally um hunted macaw and used them um for a variety of uh headdresses and other like important you know things that are of cultural significance um they've you know they've worked closely with them to sort of like transition from utilizing the macaw to uh utilizing synthetic materials and it's they've they've really made a lot of differences i think one of the interesting things about this story that really catches my attention though is like the way that this this particular area is functioning uh because a lot of this is happening on what's called the Barba Azul Nature Reserve in Bolivia, and that is named for the bird itself. Um, the Barba Azul, meaning blue beard in Spanish, that's um, that's the name for the the macaw. They are operating this area in uh, in a really interesting way. So they have uh, eleven thousand hectares, which is bigger than an acre. 
It's 10,000 square I, meters. I can I, never remember. I don't know either. <laughs> I look it up every time. 10,000 10, square meters to a hectare. This is like a metric thing, and it's so much easier to do that, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Did you guys know that this is just a random fact, but like the original measurement of an acre was how much two cattle could plow in one day? Uh, no. It doesn't seem like a... Like, that's not a standard measurement. You no. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's okay. not a standard measurement. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, 11,000 hectares, and half of that is you is dedicated to being a uh, nature reserve, right? So um, where they're letting native vegetation uh, come back from all of the, uh, the years of cattle grazing and other degradation that this area has experienced. Um, which is good, right? That's very, very good. But the other half, I think, is what's more interesting. They're operating that as a ranch, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so they are actually raising cattle in the Barbazul. The, the the people feel cattle are compatible with that ecosystem if it's done right. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, filling in the ecological role of, like, you know, megafauna and that sort of thing that have, that have become extinct. And they're... They're really using it as like a test case to demonstrate that you can raise cattle sustainably and profitably in an area that is dedicated to conservation without uh, harming the biodiversity. Because this is like a huge hotspot. Uh, this 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 particular area is a big hotspot. It's not just um, it's not just the macaws that are that are there, but it's also habitat for 340 bird species. Um, including the Orinoco goose. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, The, the uh, streamer tailed tyrant. It's a great name. It's a great name. I love, I love tyrant, uh, tyrant birds, flycatchers and all that. Um, And the greater Rhea. Nice. Okay. Um, they also have like giant anteaters and all this other stuff like that. So it's, sure, it's very yeah. fun. Yeah. It's like, a, it's very, it's like a very, it's a very cool, uh, yeah, very, very biodiverse uh, little spot of grassland. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're operating it in a way where they are trying to demonstrate that there is a way to functionally, you know, use the land without completely converting it from a grassland. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, we, we've talked a little bit before on the podcast about like sustainable ranching practices and like how you can, you know, how you can manage that in a way that more uh, closely replicates the actual role that large herbivores play in a grassland, as opposed to just like grinding it down to bare bones, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very cool thing that they're doing there. Um, so yeah, there's uh there's now estimated to be between four and 500 birds Ooh, uh, now. Nice. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of fledglings uh, um, leaving the nest every year. Um, they are nesting in uh, not only the nest boxes, but they're also finding, um, they're also finding habitats in these little like, um, like little forested islands within the uh, within the savanna itself, where they have like uh, where these macaws can find things like dead palm trees to nest in, uh, and that's really great. You know, that's a, that's a very positive thing. You know, when you when you get these uh, communities together and you you empower people and you mobilize them, you can actually make a difference, right? Um, you know, they're making they were their focus was on a single species here, the blue throated macaw, but that is going to pay dividends for 
all of the uh, the wildlife that calls this particular savanna home, mm-hmm. and I think it, it it's it's a good example of of the way that things uh, could be done in terms of humans coexisting with a grassland instead of purely just utilizing a grassland, right? Yeah. Um, treating treating that as not a resource but as a uh, as a habitat for people as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think that's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, that makes me happy to hear. Yes. Another thing from the bird world. Ah. <laughs> birds. Birds. Um, had to do with the uh, State of the Birds report uh, released by the American Bird Conservancy and the Audubon Society um, for 2022. So uh, that came out at the end of uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. There are. Obviously, with avian wildlife in general, there are some pretty worrying trends, as you would imagine. But there is a positive note to be taken from this. And that is that there is an actual upward trend in populations of water birds Mm -hmm. in the United States. That is not the general trend for most bird populations. What is the message that we can take from that is that, okay, there's obviously been a huge concerted effort towards protecting waterfowl Uh, if we think about everything that's happened from uh wetland conservation lots of lots of wetland specific legislation Mm -hmm. um organizations like the ramser convention um programs like the duck stamp and the junior duck stamp right to promote uh education but also to provide funding Mm -hmm. you know um which i think the net benefit of like the duck stamp program has ended up protecting hundreds of thousands of acres of wetlands like it's you know been uh you know they use they use some of that money to uh, actually purchase and rehabilitate wetlands um you know that's that's a big portion of it so and then of course you've also got private organizations like ducks unlimited and 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 things like that you've got hunters you've got landowners you've got conservationists um all kind of working together on these initiatives and it just again it just demonstrates like okay when you get a when you get entire communities of people together and you focus them, you know, on the importance of certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like wetlands, like ducks. Okay. Um, that really does make, end up making a difference. Like mm-hmm. people together, you know, the combined effort of that. And then you, when you add to that, the weight of policy and enforcement and funding from a government, mm-hmm. all that together really does end up making a difference. It feels like it, you know, doesn't sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, sometimes we feel like, okay, well, governments could be more effective or we could be doing more or whatever. But um, the truth of it is, like, when you actually get people all together and focus them on something, we do have the the agency, the efficacy to impact conservation goals. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if if that is, I think the lesson to take from that is if, if that sort of thing can be done for wetlands and to be done for waterfowl, mm. there's absolutely no reason that it couldn't be done for grasslands as well. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think, which is a very encouraging thing that we're seeing this trend of, of turning people's focus towards grasslands as it was turned towards, you know, the Amazon rainforest in the early 2000s or wetlands in the 2010s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, turning our focus to grasslands now, I think, is a really encouraging and exciting thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was going to wax poetic, but then I realized that was Nicole's topic next. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the exact numbers. I don't know if you have them by chance. But yeah, the increase in waterfowl has been huge. And it's definitely because they're in the limelight and people care about them. So it's it's all due to conservation efforts, and it is very uh, nice to see. 
Nicole, give us more deep dives into some good news. Will do. <laughs> Your topic, Alan, ties in very, very well with mine, which is why I wanted to go after yours, um, because I want to talk about the North American Grasslands Conservation Act. Yay! Yeah! This was modeled very heavily after the very successful North American Wetlands Conservation Act, um, which has preserved an estimated 3 million acres of habitat since 1989. So that is a lot of habitat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, if we can do it for wetlands, we can do it for grasslands. And this act might be how we do it. And I'm very excited. It is a bill that was set forth um, before the U.S. Senate last year to protect, preserve, and provide research opportunities for grasslands in North America. And I really like how they define a grassland in this bill. This is kind of nerdy, but um, the term grasslands, and this is a quote directly from the bill, means tall grass, mixed grass, short grass, native prairie, sagebrush, shrub, steppe, savanna grasslands, glades, wet meadows, coastal glass, grasslands, and other related grassland ecosystems. So they're being very broad in what they call a grassland, which is yes. really, really nice. And it's just so good to see that they are caring about those non-traditional, I guess, grasslands. Yeah. We always think of the wide open plains and those are great. It's what we call home. But there's so many other types of grasslands in North America and around the world that need preserving. So I love that. That feels like our definition of grasslands, too. It's just like if it's a grassland, it's a gra- <laughs> like we, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. They're all grasslands. <laughs> yes. And they're all important. And this act, it's not a terribly long document. If this is something that interests you, I definitely recommend like actually reading it. It's written fairly accessibly, which I was a little bit surprised by, honestly. I don't read a lot of bills in my free time, um, so maybe that's (laughs) common. But I thought that it was written very well. But I am going to attempt to summarize it quickly. We could probably do like a whole episode on this, (laughs) but I am going to attempt to summarize it. And... If you go to actforgrasslands.org, you can keep up to date on everything that's going on with it, learn more about the bill. They also have a very, very nice um, summary if you don't want to read the whole thing. And they have a one-page summary, and then they have like a four-page summary. Uh, So a good way to learn more about it if you don't want to read the whole thing. (laughs) But I stole this kind of idea of a four-pronged approach from their summary that they provided on their website. So the first part of this is establishing North American grasslands conservation strategy for the protection of grasslands. So sounds fancy, but essentially it's going to be headed by the director of U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and they do set forth some very specific goals, like what does it mean to make a strategy to preserve grasslands? It's I like that they have specific goals and included in there is prioritizing remnant grasslands. So grasslands that have not been plowed, have not been, you know, otherwise disturbed, at least in recent times. Not that they haven't been managed, but at least in recent times have not been disturbed. Conserving grassland birds, identifying best land management practices, and developing a tool for tracking county level conversion of grassland. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Super impressive. It doesn't say how they're going to do that, but that is a goal that they set forth and something that it would be 
really, really nice to have because Mm -hmm. we know that grasslands are disappearing, but we don't know at what rate or like where it's worst and things like that. We have estimates, but it's something that's really hard to track currently. So it'd be nice to have like an official way to do that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Their second of the four pronged approach is establishing a flexible grassland conservation grant program to fund projects to restore grasslands, increase carbon sequestration, and improve grassland and rangeland health. Um, and again, they they also have restoring watersheds in here. They have a lot of different kind of pieces to this, but it's nice that they are specifically setting aside money <laughs> that will be publicly available and not just used like internally, but it's a huge pool of money, I believe, they don't have like any money right now, but it is something that is required in the bill to be set up within two years of it being passed, okay. which is a pretty quick turnaround. And I like that they have a timeline on it because it's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, we'll definitely give out money probably. Like they're like, <laughs> no, this is required and it has to be within two years. So I like that. And I like how broad the funding is as well because like we were talking earlier all of this is connected all of it is important the third part of this is creating which i think is really cool creating national and regional grassland conservation councils to recommend and approve grassland conservation projects to be funded under that grant program so not just a national kind of board but also regional boards and on those boards on those councils um, it is required to include diverse voices from conservation organizations ranchers native tribes and state wildlife agencies so they're really trying hard to make sure that everyone is represented and that there's you know a lot of flow of ideas happening yeah that's going to be really important too when you're identifying like which like areas of land and which projects and which like habitat types are going to be important to conserve or prioritize absolutely and i think again this is a good way of like mobilizing people and having like a targeted group of people can be really, really powerful as far as like deciding what gets done Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than just, again, instead of it just being a vague, yeah, we'll fund stuff. It's like, no, we have a specific group of people that's going to be looking at things to get funded, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Especially since I like the regional councils in particular because you know, since they are covering so many different kinds of grasslands, a prairie doesn't need the same thing as a coastal grassland. So it's important that we have these regional councils that know about the local environment and know how best to help them. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Do they do that in the Wetland Conservation Act? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't look into it because there's already a lot to look into the grasslands one. Mm-hmm. Um, since it's modeled after it, I'm assuming it does. Alan, do you happen to know? Uh, no, off the top of my head. It's okay. been a while since I've looked at that. So Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, but I'm assuming there's some kind of a council or kind of like a board to make those recommendations. I don't know if there's regional ones, though. Mm-hmm. Cool. And the fourth of the fourth kind of prong to this approach is establishing research initiatives on native crop systems and regenerative grazing practices. So we kind of know what regenerative grazing practices, making sure that we're not overgrazing things, we're being responsible with how we manage land, 
what is a native seed crop <laughs> system? Um, basically, this is going to be headed by the Plant Conservation Alliance and the director of the Bureau of Land Management. And they are going to be researching native seeds and how best we can grow them in bulk store them for a long time and then use them use those bulk seeds for restoration efforts oh yeah so this is i mean because we don't know how long seeds last in storage we don't know necessarily the best way to do this in bulk um we have a lot of like does this specific plant need cold stratification to you know be able to be planted next year things like that are a lot of questions that we have and i love that they're like putting together a team to research this i guess i didn't realize hmm. we didn't know that <laughs> about yeah. a lot of yeah. plants mm-hmm. some plants need it not all plants do and especially since again we're covering so many different kinds of grasslands um it's difficult (laughs) to say the least seed storing and stuff being an issue yeah Mm -hmm. that's cool that's That's, yeah yeah. good questions to answer yeah 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 and so this is definitely the most expensive part of the act really yes um as far as funds that are already set aside there is $1 million going towards each year, going towards native seed crops, and then $10 million going towards regenerative grazing research. Okay. Um, the council also has about, I, th- I think it was a $1 million set aside as a budget each year. Um, and then the other, there were some other smaller amounts that was already set aside funds, um, like paying U.S. Fish and Wildlife Director, stuff like that. Mm. Less exciting stuff. Um, but... I really like that ranchers and people that own the land are a big part of this act and that they're trying really hard to have their voices heard because so much of grassland is privately owned. And so those voices are incredibly important and we need to have them on board for this to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is for sure key. Um, Because, yeah, that's... uh, Right, the big difference probably between grasslands and a lot of other like old growth forests and things like that, or you know, uh, rainforests, etc. Like these are areas that are just weren't protected in the first place. Yeah. Right, they're yeah. not federally owned. They're not so. Um, yeah, I think that's really great because like especially when you hear that they're you know not only focusing on the regenerative uh, regenerative grazing and things like that, but also just the grant programs providing the actual you know resources to make these things happen like we get we get contacted by landowners who are interested in this sort of thing who want to convert portions of their land like back to like they're they're like i would like this to be a native grassland Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the resources the backing or you know and there's not always necessarily like you know yeah just like the support to make that happen yeah so i think it's very yeah it's very good to to legislate that into being. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's the status on this act? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why are you Um, laughing? That's making me nervous. This is good news, Nicole. No, 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 no. Uh, It was introduced um, 7-27-2022. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it's not necessarily dead in the water. It's just it has been handed over to the Committee on Environment and Public Works. So they are deliberating on it, seeing if they like it, that kind of thing. Um, If it does get passed by the Senate, it goes to the House of Representatives, um, and then the president would either approve it or veto it. So 
now is the perfect time to make sure that it doesn't fall out of the limelight and that we are contacting our representatives and badgering them as much as we want and are able to and making sure that they know that this is something that we want. So don't let it, don't let it die in in Congress. It's important. Yeah. Yell at people. Yell at your Congress people. Yeah. It's surprisingly easy to get on a Zoom call with them too. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You can... So you could yell at them face to face. Yeah. Office gently. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's up? Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do this thing for grasslands. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, any questions about the North American Grasslands Conservation Act? I wonder who's specifically on that committee so we can specifically yell at them. Yeah, yeah, tell us that, Nicole. Because they're the ones who would pass it on to the uh, congressional agenda, right? um, I don't remember, like, as far as, oh, yeah. I don't know who's on that committee, um, the Committee on Environment and Public Works, but I'm sure that it's easily found online. Look up the committee on the thing you just said. Say that again. (laughs) Committee on Environment and Public Works. Oh, yeah. We need to harass these people in a nice way. (laughs) In a nice way. We need to motivate them, not harass them. (laughs) Motivation. Motivate them. And again, if you want to find out more about this, actforgrasslands.org is that website. It's a really good one. When we motivate them, can I be the bad cop? Sure. Cool. That's fine. Beautiful. You're very scary. Yeah. (laughs) Very intimidating. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I love it. The second thing that I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. I was going to oh, there. So there, like, this isn't, this has not been voted on by either house yet. It has not. So Correct. it's, it's, it's still, in the it's committee. committee. In yeah. the house? Uh, the, in the, the Senate. House, in the Senate committee. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was put forth. I didn't write down their names, but it was put forth by a Senate member and backed by two other Senate members, okay. which is, I was, again, I don't know a whole lot about bills, but I was looking through like various bills and like looking at like some of the timelines on some of them and this is not like super unusual Mm -hmm. um and it's not super common to have like two people backing it so Mm -hmm. i mean it does have a lot of support it's not well there's like there's like bipartisan support yes for sure yeah Yeah. because this is is like this this benefits it does it benefits everyone yeah it's not just like hippy dippy environmentalism like this is like a real benefit for like a lot of yes you know constituents and Absolutely. a lot of shareholders stakeholders rather because mm-hmm. like i mean even the crp thing like that was introduced by chuck grassley who is not like a liberal politician you yeah. know so like they're you know like there are people who are focused on this that are not what you would expect yes yeah, yeah. absolutely The next item that I wanted to talk about uh, is an organization, actually. It's called oh. the Great Plains Ecotourism Coalition. Oh, yeah. Their hmm. website is visittheprairie.com. And I think that this is just another really interesting and unique way at preserving grasslands, and specifically, obviously, the prairie. They are based out of Nebraska, um, but they do, they have uh, maps on their website that are really cool. They have like a whole ecotourism route that you can go on their website. Um, It has the top 50 ecotourism sites in the Great Plains from Montana to Oklahoma. There's national parks, wildlife refuges, um, state parks, and like so much more all laid out on this um, little map that's interactive. 
And they even have some suggested routes, like I said, in Nebraska. So um, very, very fun way of finding grasslands that might be near you to visit. They also have a killer series of posters. Yes, they do. Really excellent t-shirt designs. (laughs) Yes, yes. I really want some. (laughs) Yes, they're so good. And they even have, (laughs) they have a newsletter that you can subscribe to, but they have a, like, at the top of the page, when you go to their website, there's a visit tab and you can like specifically look at like, oh, I want to see butterflies. And you can like look at where people have suggested to go see butterflies or pronghorn or even prairie dogs. And it's just like, it's just a very, I don't know, a very good way of encouraging people to get out into grasslands and like really experience it, experience them for themselves. And I really liked this quote, you know, like, what is ecotourism? And they broke it down like this. Ecotourism is travel that deepens one's engagement with nature, conserves the environment, and improves the well-being of local communities. Ecotourism stimulates curiosity about the natural world, builds understanding of natural processes, and helps develop a consciousness of our role as nature's stewards. I think that's just a really great way to break it down. Yeah. And by encouraging people to get outside, um, responsible ecotourism brings people into those grasslands so they can experience it for themselves, which is the first step in getting people excited about conservation. So I love it. Yes. Go visit a prairie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And their posters are real good. Their posters. (laughs) um, I meant to look this up and I just remembered that I had not looked it up. Their, the artwork for those posters are actually on display right now in Kansas at some park. Uh, Don't remember which one. Cool. Useful information. Thank yes. you. You're so welcome. <laughs> if you look it up, you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> they could also be in, on display in your own home. They, they could. could. They yeah. could. Google it. Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, <All right. laughs> but yeah, the last thing I wanted to share, yeah, is about prairie dogs. Perfect. Give, surprise. Give surprise. Us, give us the prairie dogs. Man. Um, good news about prairie dogs is hard to come by. So I just had to report this out. <laughs> okay. People Aww. hate them. Um, I love them, but most people hate them. And so they ain't doing too well. But these guys. The Utah Prairie Dog is actually doing pretty well. Whoa. What? Yeah. How well are they doing? As well as the Bluebeard, a.k.a. the Blue I don't know. How many were there? Like 400. Oh, there's more than that. <laughs> Utah Prairie Dog wins. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Utah Prairie Dog is a federally protected species. Um, they are considered threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Um, and... National protection has allowed them to have a really good bounce back. They had a low of about, um, I think it was a thousand or so prairie dogs in the 70s. And now they're up to, I believe, over 5,500. Um, so pretty good. Um, they have in five decades. I mean, it's still an increase. That's true. Get out of here. Sorry. Good vibes. That's like a thousand per decade. 
Hey, <laughs> they're critically like you have an endangered species. Okay, it's yeah. hard. Their population. Yeah. When they're at the threshold of extinction, it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my god! Fine. <laughs> um, we were excited about five hundred macaws. Yeah. I know, and I'm just feeling a little bit defensive because <laughs> you made it a competition. Well. They're still winning, so. Okay, well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're going by, like, the increase, the macaws have them beat, um, but overall numbers, prairie dogs are winning. So, there just saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The Utah Wildlife Board has conducted reviews of the Utah prairie dog and has approved changes to their management once they are delisted. De- they are very confident they, that they will be delisted. Um, under the Endangered Species Act. And that while that sounds kind of scary at first, it's not because just because Utah is calling for the delisting of this species doesn't mean all their protection is going away. They're just asking that the protection of this species basically become Utah's problem. And they will still be doing a lot of different things to make sure that they're doing well and that they continue doing well. Um, well, if you approve of the delisting, it makes me feel like it's not, you know, politics. And yeah. there's a conservation side that makes sense here. So. Yes. I, I always worry about that. I looked into it and I did find the Utah Prairie Dog Conservation Strategy put forth by um, the Utah Division of Wildlife. It is a 74-page document. I did not read it all. <laughs> But I did skim it. Um, wow. And they have a lot of things. It, it, this, it talked about historically how they've done, but also, you know, the strategy moving forward of how they're going to protect them. And some of those things that they'll be doing is continuing to monitor populations. So currently, every spring, they go out and count all the prairie dogs that they can find. Mm-hmm. And they do monitor population by population so they have like an overall number but they also have numbers for each like group of prairie dogs out there and they'll also be continuing research on plague control methods because prairie dogs are very highly susceptible to plague and do die they're not a carrier of plague they just straight up die um (laughs) it's really really bad for them um and then i also learned that the uh, sylvatic plague is invasive and that's why so many of our small mammals like do so poorly with it like i guess it makes sense but like mm-hmm. but it's not i never thought about it yeah. yeah i never like thought about it that way and i was like huh so that's why like 95 percent of prairie dogs that get plague die <laughs> they did not yeah. evolve alongside it yeah right. to combat it yes mm-hmm. what about bubonic plague though uh that's also not from here i guess yeah i don't think so it's like European. Yeah. Classically European. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Classically. <laughs> yeah. Those Europeans and their plagues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. Europeans and their plagues. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. They also have done a lot of transportation of prairie dogs, like away from private property or away from property that's going to be developed and onto, 
you know, either a different piece of private property that's okay with having them around or um, protected land. So they are going to continue doing that. And they also require surveys of areas before development of that land so that they can't move those prairie dogs away. So it's not just, they're not just relying on people to report, hey, there's prairie dogs here. Like they actually do surveys and look for the prairie dogs. You know, for prairie dogs, honestly, relocating them somewhere else is very good. <laughs> like yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's a shocking amount of care for this particular like group of animals. Yes. Yeah. And they do really well. Like reintroduction efforts and moving them around the state has been very, very successful, huh. which is not always the case with reintroduction efforts. No, so, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Bong. <laughs> no. I loved them. <laughs> um, but to kind of wrap us up, in 2018, there was a beginning of a five-year status review of the Utah Prairie Dog by Fish and Wildlife Service. And in 2021, it was actually determined that due to plague and some human concerns, <laughs> um, <laughs> that they should still be listed. So there is another five-year review coming up this year. So my fingers are crossed at least that they will be delisted because of all these efforts that we've done towards helping them. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, prairie dogs. Good job, prairie dogs. What a win. Yeah. Maybe. Definitely. Oh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) They've definitely increased a lot. (laughs) Um, They're doing surprisingly well. And there's a lot of really passionate people that care about them, which again, is kind of rare for prairie dogs. Yeah. So it makes me really happy. Being reminded that they are constantly suffering under the thumb of plague also <laughs> uh, reminds me that, you know, increasing from 1,000 to 5,000 is is pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. If you had plague constantly, <laughs> it'd be hard for you two to yeah. exist. Yeah. yeah probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It. Mm. <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah, suffering under a plague is mm-hmm. something we can all relate to. <laughs> yeah. Cut that out. <laughs> Good vibes. All Good right. Good vibes. Well, I hope you, our treasured listener, feel a little better about things now. It's not all bad. Yeah. A lot of things are okay. And you'll be okay, too. Yeah. Yeah. If prairie dogs can make it, I bet you can. Yeah. You don't even have plague. <laughs> you don't even have plague. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys. That's right. how we end this. No. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Best Biome, a podcast produced by Crossland Groupies. That's us. Um, follow us on places. You can find all the links in our description. And we'll put we'll put links to all of this stuff in the description in our notes. Um, I'll start with theirs and then list all of my like 10,000 ones after that um, (laughs) so that you can find them. Amazing. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.